Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. All right, our gospel reading for tonight. This is the good news, fam. From Luke chapter 24, it's a long reading because we have dwelt deeply in the storytelling around the suffering and death of Jesus. It only makes sense tonight that we would dwell equally deeply in the story of joyous recognition of his resurrected self. So from Luke 24, 1 through 43, I just want to point out that At the end of chapter 23 in Luke, um, Jesus is dead and has been, his body has been taken away to a tomb and the women who have been following him, his disciples, um, are watching to see where his body is laid and they are careful to mark the spot and then at the very end of chapter 23, the gospel says, on the Sabbath, that is to say on Saturday, they rested according to the commandment. And then we pick up in chapter 24 with this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but... The men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of humanity must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Remember? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to the apostles an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Now, on that same day, two of those disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing Jesus himself, came near and walked with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, so what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to the empire to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they didn't find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. Imagine that. But they didn't see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening. The day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and went back to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together, and they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they, the travelers, told what had happened on the road and how it had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace. Peace be with you. They were startled, terrified. They thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why, why, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you got anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Somehow, someway, somewhere back there, somebody got it twisted. And then they passed it down generation by generation till it got to some of us. What they said was, was that the goal of Christian living is to get to heaven. Meaning, the life that matters most is not this one, but the life after this one. Because this one is short, and that one lasts forever. And they said, this life you're living now is really just a multi-decade test. It's a run-up to the real thing. It's kind of a qualifying round to see which kind of eternity you are entitled to. 
You do the best you can in every season you're given, asking for help and forgiveness at all the save points along the way, and you hope for enough kindness from God in the end to make up the difference between the life you should have lived down here and the one you actually did. And resurrection, in that scenario, is simply the doorway between this dress rehearsal life and the real life you'll live forever on the other side, once God has rendered judgment once and for all on your true nature and character, once all your chances have been used up and the final verdict is read. Not only is that terrifying and traumatizing and not representative of the testimony of our ancestors in faith as found in the Bible, it's also just really sad regarding this life we are living now. Because while it heightens the import of every moral decision you've ever made to an impossible degree, it diminishes and denigrates so many other aspects of this life, leaving us with a near nihilistic assessment of everything we do. For example, the beauty we make while we are alive in the be a good Christian so you can go to heaven forever model, beautiful things in this world are temporary at best, wasteful at worst. Why was the ointment wasted in this way? She could have sold it and given the money to the poor, Jesus' disciples complained, assessing the woman's extravagant gesture as a squandered opportunity for a more rigorous righteousness. Not, I suspect, because they loved poor people, but because it's important in this life to take every chance to rack up points on the right side of the ledger. And if resurrection is simply a portal to the real life for which this one is merely a warm-up, well, sympathy for the suffering of others, and maybe also ourselves, is distorted. Because today's pain is fleeting, only a moment compared to the glories of eternity, etc. There is a particularly Christian callousness to suffering that comes from thinking of our lived experiences as less than the real thing waiting for us on the other side of death. We could go on to consider how this way of thinking about our lives as a warm-up for the real life, the one that matters in the sweet by and by, has gotten Christianity into so much of the trouble it's in now. It has promoted an ethic of mind your own business, an individualism that hunkers down to prioritize its own survival, making the safest possible choices so as not to jeopardize the eternal future. It has elevated a long list of thou shalt nots, the definite no-nos that displease God and must be avoided without serious consideration of the full expression of abundant life in Christ Today, the right now life lived in love and joy and peace and patience and all the other fruit of the spirit of the living Christ within us now. As one of the Galileo originals said to me one time, 
You know, I just never wanted to be part of a religion where everybody walks around like they got a stick up their ass all the time. Amen and amen. Now, the reason I'm going on about it today is because I think this distorted view of our own lives as temporary and time-bound and thus pale in comparison to the someday gee-whizness of heaven is derived from how we learned to talk about Jesus' own death and resurrection. Mainly that we talked way too much about Jesus dying, loading up his death with meaning, and then gleefully celebrating God's raising of him as our own guarantee of eventual glory. It almost did not matter what he had done with his life up until the holiest week. Except we know that he must have been very, 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 very careful, morally speaking, to remain sinless throughout, so as to earn God's reward, somehow not only for himself, but for all the rest of us too, certain restrictions apply. But see, the more time I spend with Jesus' life on the ground, I mean the gospel accounts of his temporary, time-bound life in a mortal, mud-bound body just like ours, the more I see that God was not, by raising him from the dead, rescuing Jesus from the drudgery of this life in order to grant him relief from it in the next one. Rather, it seems to me now that God took a good look at Jesus' way in this world. His very way of celebrating this life to the fullest, his abundance of friends and food and love and laughter and prayer and praise and the pain it sometimes caused him. God took a good look at all of that. God saw all of that in Jesus' life here among us, and God said, yeah, oh yeah, I believe I'll have more of that. In which case, Jesus' resurrection from the dead was not an airlift out of the nihilistic nothingness of this world and all its brokenness. It was God doubling down on this reality of ours. God investing even more of God's self in this life, these lives that we live with each other, however short, however fleeting, however hard. This is a faith claim, of course, and maybe one that's harder to grab hold of than the be a good Christian so you can go to heaven model. Because there's plenty in our experiences of this life that points toward the meaninglessness of suffering and the fleeting nature of beauty and the real wisdom of looking out for oneself and protecting what you've got. The nihilists have good arguments, I'm saying, experientially verifiable by most of us much of the time. But church, this is the conspiracy of faith. This is the thing beyond easy believability, beyond the proof of our own experiences, beyond our own escapist fantasies. If we imagine Jesus' resurrection as God's vindication of his earthly life, 
Well, then we confront the possibility that his return from the grave has also infused our lives, this life here and now in this world with meaning. We're asked to imagine that God is invested in our lives too and that God would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to have more more of us, more of this, just as God did for Jesus. The early church, in reflecting on our union with Christ in baptism and in our baptized living, sometimes said that we will be raised with Jesus someday, somehow. But interestingly, they also sometimes said that we, in our baptisms, have already been raised with Christ. First, drowning in the water and then lifted out, raised up to brand new life, dripping with possibility, drenched in potential, not for later, but for now. Like in Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which God has loved us, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Or in Colossians 2 and 3, when you were buried with Christ in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I am saying, family, that Jesus' resurrection is God's declaration that our lives, the ones we are living right now, are precious and gorgeous and worthwhile and infused with purpose, full of meaning. I am saying on this Easter day that the God who lassos death and wrestles it to the ground on our behalf, the God who never lets go anything God has made, has already decided in our favor. That's the verdict, church. God wants more of you, more alive right now. And I don't know if you've heard, but God gets everything God wants. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.